back to Anne and Shaw. Today I have Nina, a life coach from London, an international professional speaker and author. You're very welcome this morning, Nina. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Anne. No problem at all. So Nina, can you just introduce yourself and just give us a little bit more background? Definitely. So my name is Nina Olk. I am an international speaker and life coach. I am an advocate for Think Network. I'm their cultural and diversity ambassador. And my mission at the moment is to spread awareness on honour killings, which is very close to my heart. Honour killings are happening all over the world, not just in where they, you know, the places that you would think they would be happening, which are far away, is not quite the case. They're actually happening on your doorstep. So I'm very much an advocate, um, which I've taken upon myself to represent myself, just to spread that awareness. As I said, it means a lot to me. Yeah, exactly. And I have heard you speak on the app Clubhouse regarding your own story, how much work you have done. Yeah, I mean, definitely. Yeah, Clubhouse is an amazing thing, isn't it? We have yeah. so many connections through Clubhouse. Um, be quite lost without it now. <laughs> but I've, I've, I've been on Clubhouse, but I do go in with intention. I've had the intention to spread awareness because I believe that if we don't talk about something you know, it's hard for anybody else to know about it. But when you live through it firsthand, you don't want anybody else to feel that way. So my mission has been literally to go in from room to room and talk about honour killings and the fact that girls in my culture are killed at birth, which sounds quite horrific, but it is actual fact. And it's not something happening in times past. It's something that's continued through generation and generation. And unless we start changing the minds of the new generation and getting them to understand that girls are important and they matter then this problem will never ever go away and I feel that unless we tell more people about it they will never know what to look out for and the signs that something is seriously wrong that they can actually save somebody's life. And what are the signs? Well in my case you know I was a young girl going to school being really um, mistreated at home I suffered from um, physical and mental abuse as a child and there there are a lot of signs that the teachers could have picked up on they could have picked on Um, picked up on the days that I was more withdrawn than others and um, they didn't really ask me questions and I didn't at that time you don't really know about normalization because you're in this little bubble that you're taught certain things and you follow that sort of train of thought but if somebody was to sort of ask me if I was okay I probably would have said no quite a few times because I was really struggling from the age of sort of eight upwards I started to really not like the way I was being treated at home I mean that was just the way that they treat you because you're a girl. So in in effect, there's not a lot of signs you can see other than neglect and the fact that I was quite a scrawny little girl. So I wasn't fed. I was always scavenging for food. But yeah, there were lots of signs that teachers could have picked up. Maybe family friends could have picked up. Maybe people in the community just watching me walk past the house every day could have picked up thinking there goes that girl who's never clean that's always dirty looks very withdrawn and not necessarily come out and done something huge about it but even just to smile at that child or ask them as I said if they're okay um that's that's really acknowledge it yes most definitely so I do feel that it's um something that the signs are there as I said it's just sometimes we don't choose to see them and later on with the honour killings I had um you know the time where when I left 
and I did leave the house. I was very fortunate that I survived. But when I did leave and I did go to the police station, they weren't really equipped to talk about it with me. If they'd had somebody maybe that's been through something or someone had a contact with another person that understood the situation or the culture, I would have been more happier talking to them than to the gentleman that I spoke to. He was very lovely. I remember his name to this day, PC Pete, you know, (laughs) Police Constable Pete. But um, as kind as he was, he wasn't able to um, calm my fear. And you do have this deep-rooted fear instilled in you. Had he done that, you know, had, had I spoke to the right person, I think I would have maybe taken more action against it. But you are so scared, you don't want to do that. And how old were you then? Um, I was 21 when I was when I had actually escaped the house. Um, um, I don't know if you've heard me telling my story on Clubhouse, but I'd come back from a very horrible um, arranged marriage. So I was forced into a marriage. And when I came back from the marriage, I came back because of abuse. Um, my, my father-in-law spent four years just trying to molest me and sexually abuse me and I continued to push his um, advances away because it wasn't something I wanted so from the ages of 17 I had him continuously torturing me almost um, with this sexual bullying I would put it and when I did turn up I was a little bit naive to think my parents would take me in and look after me because they saw it as uh, that I had shamed the family name in my culture and a lot of other cultures not just the Indian culture when you go and do something like that they don't want to be looked at by the community in a bad way so my father and my brother then actually beat me savagely and when I use the word savagely I don't use it lightly because I was a very thin frail 21 year old who had never had anything but physical abuse imposed upon her and they were not the smallest of people and I you know in comparison to size to me yeah. And yet they managed to break my jaw and my arm. And when I did collapse, they just continued to stamp on me, which is something I really can't forget. I don't have any ill feelings toward them. Please understand that. But yeah. when someone hurts you to such a degree of physical um, intent and their intentions were to kill, it's not an easy one to forget. Definitely not. Like how you were able to come through that, you know, come out on the other end. You're such a strong woman now. And what you're doing for other people is absolutely amazing. Thank you so much, Anne. It's not something I thought through, you know, something in me always wanted to live. There was something in me that was desperate to stay alive, something in me that knew that I couldn't give up. And I remember actually, I said this recently, I remember watching the blood trickle off my face into the carpet design and it was And that's what I was watching because I was trying to distract myself from the pain I was feeling being beaten. But there was something in me that said, hang on, you know, and it's happened many a time where I have almost maybe it's an angel. I'm not sure looking over me, but I I have this. I have this thing that said to me many a time, hang on. Um, Another example is my I've been in I left a 23 year narcissistic partner who was very, very violent, very violent. And many a time did I think I wouldn't see light of day. And when he set my pillow on fire as I was sleeping and my daughter discovered it, put the fire mm-hmm. out, I remember saying to myself, just just wait, things will get better, just hang on. Um, because many a times, you know, and you've been there yourself, I'm sure you, you just think, what is the point of all this? You know, why am I here? I just don't yeah. want to do this anymore. And I have said that, I'm not saying 
I haven't. As strong as I know I am, we all have those days where we just think, what is the point of living? But we just have to remind ourselves that life is a gift. Definitely. And like your story is is heart wrenching. It really is. There's so many women out there and men who are in, were in the same situation, are in the sim- same situation right now. Um, it's, and I suppose, as you said, people aren't really talking about it. We don't know that's going on in their own doorstep. How did you get away from your family, I suppose? I, I haven't actually got away from my family. They're still looking for me. I think my partner's looking for me too, my ex-partner. I didn't really ever get away from them. What I did is I decided they could no longer scare me or bully me or hurt me. And I think when you have that loss of fear and you have this sense of freedom then you don't allow the other person to have the power as I'd call it you take away their power I will not allow anyone now to put me in a situation where I feel unsafe I will not allow anyone now to dictate whether I stand or sit (laughs) you know I've gone through all of those those times and we always have a choice to change but we don't always see it and that's one of the things I would love to get across to people that with one small step with one small change your whole life could become so much better and you could be living a a free happier life definitely like and when obviously you left as as you said like you know they're still looking for you but like you know were you able to go I know you said that policeman was absolutely amazing and were they of help to you did they help you get away no (laughs) um the police have not been I'm going to be honest because that's who I am now I just don't yeah. I've always been the type of person to make excuses for everybody. I've made excuses for my father. I've made excuses for my mother. I've made excuses for my ex-partner. I've even made excuses for my children when they've been misbehaving. But I refuse to make excuses for anybody anymore because I think if we don't pull people out and we don't talk the truth about them, if we don't relay the reality, then there's that misconception of that person and they also can never understand what they've done wrong. So unless we complain, and it sounds like a harsh word complain, it sounds like we're whinging, but what we're actually doing is saying, no, this is not okay and I will not accept it because I respect myself and I completely 100% respect myself now. I have so much self-love that I will never allow this to happen again. The police Unfortunately, with my parents, didn't ever come back to me about it. Um, they never came back to say that you came into the police station on this day. We saw you with cuts and bruises and your arm was broken. We took you to the hospital. Nothing really ever came out of it. I actually went from hospital um, to this person who had said he would take me in. Um, and I rented a room from him until he became my partner <laughs> for 23 years. So I was go literally going from frying pan to fire, but there was no actual support. And with the domestic violence, I was very let down because there are posters in the in the police stations in, in the United Kingdom that say if you are suffering from domestic violence, speak out, you know, yeah. don't stay silent. But when you break the silence, they cannot help you. I went into the police station when my ex-partner had travelled because I had a four-hour gap of not being called, not being FaceTimed. So I rushed down to the police station and showed them a video of me being punched in the face from work, CCTV 
video, I showed them that I had police, um, sorry, not police, I had doctor's reports. Yeah. I showed them that I had sound um, recordings where he knew I was recording because I told him I'm going to record this. So I knew that I could use it in that respect. But none of this was, a, uh, it was not good enough for me to be able to press charges because she said it was a little bit old. It had to be within the last month. Now, I, when you're physically being abused and physically being beaten and hurt, mm. You cannot sit and say, one minute, I just need to record this piece of information so I can press charges. You cannot do it. And I think there's a lack of empathy within the police when it comes to a woman being held against almost her wishes. I felt I couldn't leave because he would kill me. But little did I know he was trying to kill me all along. You know, I had no clue I'd lost a baby because of his violence I you know he'd pushed me down the stairs when I was eight months pregnant I was literally about to have my son and he pushed me with such force that I'd got to the hospital in the ambulance and the baby you know he was he wasn't going to make it he died shortly after birth so these sort of things can be stopped if there is more help for women in violent situations because a woman doesn't want to be treated that way or a man even doesn't want to be treated that way because let's not forget domestic violence doesn't happen just for women it happens for men and it affects the children horrendously but unless there's a safe way of communicating with the police and them having a structured plan to actually say we believe you because half of the mm-hmm. battle is thinking that nobody's going to believe me. Even now, I think people won't believe some of the things I say, but I've stopped caring because I know that I speak from my heart. I know it's true. I know these things have happened and my children have watched them happen. And I just have to sort of tell people what I feel so that they might find some, some they may resonate with some of the feelings and think, well, it's exactly how I felt. I felt I couldn't speak out. I felt nobody would believe me. But the police really do need to take action. And I think they need to up their game because domestic violence is one of the most rife things across the world but especially you know I know in the United Kingdom especially with the pandemic um, but regarding my thing about honour killings I feel there's not enough education within the police force and if there is they're not showing it yeah and like you said with the pandemic there has been so many people who couldn't get away and then as well they didn't felt afraid maybe to reach out for help like you know because it has you know over here in Ireland it has been advertised so much you know about domestic violence whether Mm -hmm. it's men or women because like you said it's it's not just women there's men as well that have been affected by this Um, definitely reach out if they are feeling that way but I suppose in your own story um did you ever feel that like you were saying you know you feel that you know people might not believe some of your story but like when you went to get help did you feel that you wouldn't be listened to definitely I mean it sounds a little bit out there doesn't it my story I even sort of look back sometimes and think did this really all happen but unfortunately yes it did um some of the things that confirmed there there have been little I believe in the universe and I believe the universe sends us signs all the time and little things have happened along my journey that have made me understand and really just take time to accept that things have happened, but also to let them go, which is why I don't think I feel any anger or I don't feel any, I don't want anything bad to happen to anybody that I've I've lived with or my, even my parents, but I need them to at some point maybe, even to themselves, be very honest to know that they've yeah. done wrong. They don't have to tell anybody else, but if they can be honest within, I think that would be great. But I understand also that they've only done what they know. That's their mentality. That's what they've been taught. 
that's their traditional values for the culture. But going forward, I'm hoping that other people can start to change their way of thinking. And just because their grandparents or great grandparents did it doesn't mean they have to do it. Yeah, I have often thought it's not going to be believed, but my father not long came out of prison. I don't talk about this as much on Clubhouse, but he came out of prison because he had abducted abducted a daughter of his that he had in 2015 sorry Uh no I've got that wrong (laughs) he he took the daughter he abducted her in 2015 but she was six years old when he abducted her he had her out of marriage with I think um a European lady and because it brought shame upon him yeah um he didn't want to be found out I guess he took the daughter to India and killed her and it upsets me and it's one of the reasons I talk out about honor killings because honor killings take place for so many different reasons that we can't even understand and for this particular reason the police had contacted me not long after I left my um former partner to say you have the same surname as this gentleman he's on your birth certificate can we talk to you about him in general and they asked me one poignant question which really stays in my mind that do you think there's any chance of this six-year-old being alive and I just felt my heart sink because I knew that I couldn't give them the answer I wished I could Um, and even two days ago I turned around to my daughter and I said I still have this hope tiny little bit of hope that she'll just turn up and I can take back what I've said because I would rather be wrong in this situation but my heart knows unfortunately that I'm very sadly not wrong and where like would that be normal like you know to do to literally just abduct a child if it brought shame on the family is that normal to do like I think it does depend on person to person as you know you know you could be living next door to somebody who's the same sort of age as you with the same colour hair, same ethnicity, same cultural upbringing, but they could be a very different person. So I don't want to label everybody and tarnish everyone with the same brush. However, I would say I've worked out 75% of people from Asia and Africa have this mentality. My own father definitely has this mentality. He did this to me when I was 21. When I was 23, he tried to abduct my daughter. He wore a wig. He offered money to my um, landlord. I think it was £5,000 he offered for information of where I was so that he could take away my baby girl and kill her. Now, you see, we often see in the news that someone's buried so many people in the back of their garden over a number of years and they only get found because somebody's new has opened um, up the, the ground because they're doing some renovations or they have been found from other means because somebody's told about something or they've you know the police have actually discovered that somebody is a mass murderer but I wouldn't be surprised if 75% of the Asians living in the United Kingdom in Ireland in Scotland in America in Europe in complete if not 75% of those people at least half of those have got somebody or a baby buried in their house somewhere wow that is that is scary like um it it doesn't bear thinking about you know um and obviously it's a very you know sensitive subject as well you know um it's it's taboo we're not supposed to talk about it and it makes people feel uncomfortable yeah exactly it would um but as as you said we need to talk about it a lot more we need to express it and make sure that people are listening because it is important yeah no definitely i'm sorry to interrupt you i wish we could take away the stigma of rape 
um, talking about it. I wish we could take the stigma of being abused as a child. I wish we could take away the stigma of being bullied and that feeling that you have that you're stupid because you didn't leave a relationship because you, it was narcissistic and you were being beaten. I wish we could take the stigma away from these things because if we did and we could, people would talk up more about it and there would be less problems. Because the reason that people get away with sexual abuse is because no one says anything because the person that's been affected feels shame and with that shame we become almost internalizing our own abuse you know we we beat ourselves up and only in February did I admit the abuse to myself that I'd been through sexually with my father because it was so horrific that even now I can't remember exactly what happened because I have just pushed it to the back of my mind but I think of all the trauma that I went through that was the one I found the hardest to let go um understandably I was 14 so it's deep-rooted but if I had known it was okay to talk about if I'd known I could just talk about it without being judged or labeled then I would have most definitely said more before this time it's taken me too many years to come to terms with it and I suppose that's that's really um it's so honest like and your story is so raw and it's exactly how people feel when you know it comes to rape or sexual abuse or anything like that people don't want to talk about it because of they feel shame and they put the the blame on themselves rather than the person who actually committed the crime you're completely right and that's why i said i made a vow to myself last year to say that if anybody's doing anything wrong i will point it out otherwise yeah I'm most definitely not being true to myself. Nina, how did you deal with all of this? Like, I know you're dealing with, you said you've really only started to deal with the sexual abuse from your dad earlier this year. Like, how are you coping with all of this? You know, it's amazing you're telling your story because I think more people need to hear your story. It's just, how how are you coping with this? Yeah, I've always had um, a way of letting go. I've always had a way of not holding on to feelings. So as a child, I didn't know it wasn't normal to be treated the way I was treated. I was one of many girls, remember, in my area that were being treated this way. So it was only until my father raped me with his friends that I realised something was horrifically wrong with my life. But up until that point, I accepted things were the way they were. If anybody spoke to me cruelly or hurt me physically, I would let it go. I never held on to my mother did this or my father did this. You know, I just let it go. I just accepted it and allowed it to just move on. So with that, I've, I know there are a lot of things that have happened to me that are really, really wrong in my life, but I, I am able to not hold on to those feelings because I was the receiver of those actions. I wasn't the one doing anything wrong. And now I know that for a little while, I thought I was a catalyst because my former partner told me that. He said that everything happens to you, Nina, so it must be you. You know, your father treated you badly, your mother treated you badly. And you say, I'm treating you badly, but is it really us or is it you? So you do take in what people say to you. And if it's said enough times to you, you believe it. But I I understood that none of the things that have happened in my life have been because of an action that I've created. A six-year-old child cannot create a force for a whole family to be against that child, to force that child to become a servant. It's impossible. A 14-year-old girl cannot force a group of men to physically, mentally sexually 
force themselves upon her, you know, be for, for them to force themselves upon her, yeah. Um, a 23-year-old woman can't force a partner to mistreat her and cheat on her and continuously bully her throughout her time with him. And we become the type of people that want to look after everybody. I am very much that person today. Yeah. I want to look after everyone. And, and often I say I am love to everyone because I have that much love for myself that I don't want anyone to ever, ever feel the way I felt. I want everyone to feel love and just to be able to give them almost a digital, you know, cuddle and just say, I've yeah. got you. You're fine. You're going to be good. Just believe. Just take a bit of my smile, take a bit of my love and things are going to work out. And I genuinely, authentically want that for everybody because I know how it feels not to be loved. I've coped by just allowing things to move on. And as a life coach, I teach people how not to be a prisoner of their past to understand that choices can be made. And with choices, changes will come about. Definitely. You said something there um, regarding other children in your area were going through the same situation. Did you ever speak with them like when you became a little bit older? You know, obviously, as a six year old, you said you didn't understand. But as a 14 year old, you know, you came, became more aware. Did you ever speak to any other girls that, you know, this was happening to? I've spoken to people now. There's one or two that I've reached out because they have become so what's the right word because they're so engulfed in that mentality themselves they don't see the wrongness in it they're just passing it on to their grandchildren and children see girls are married at the age of 16 17 in my culture so the people that are married at my time are now grandmothers and have passed on their mother's beliefs traditions so the loop isn't really breaking that loop that circle is very tight the one or two that have changed, you know, they have sort of softened slightly, still haven't quite got there. And unfortunately, like I said, if you're continuously told the same thing, then you, you do that, you believe that. And this is how cultural beliefs are, cultural restraints are. As a child, you're programmed to think it's very wrong to do something against your mother or father. And this is the Asian mentality and the African mentality. You're taught that you have to be living for your parents, that you are there to serve them and that you don't actually have the right to think for yourself. A lot of people are existing in life because they're not aware that they can be free and happy in life. So from the partner that they will marry is chosen. And some, some parents are more relaxed, but they, the children don't understand. Despite the fact that 25% of Asians and Africans are relaxed, they're still never able to marry someone of their choice. They will never be able to marry somebody out of their, their culture so an African person marrying an Indian person is very rare. Yeah. An African person marrying maybe um, an Asian person as in from Korea would be impossible because the Korean parents wouldn't accept it and nor would the African parents. And this is a sense of racism, a sense, but it is the way it is because culturally you're taught to stick to your own. And I'll, you know, I use that word quite strongly because that's exactly how it is. The modern parents would say to an, an Indian child now, you can marry anyone so long as they're Indian and they're not this and they're not that. There's always conditions. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I understand that even in Catholics, they can be quite strict with regards to who you marry and who you don't. But I just believe now in this day and age, if you find somebody that's got a good heart and they have good intentions, then isn't it better to be with that person and actually live a life that you can be happy it doesn't mean you're wrong, 
even though we're taught it's very wrong and you're black become black labeled and you become the black sheep as I have even though life was almost chosen for me yeah. my parents don't see that if they'd let me stay with them and taken me in and loved them that I would still be maybe there and I'm glad I'm not I'm glad they did what they did because I would never have been happy living in their conditions I know women that are my age that are living with their parents and that's the 25% that allow their daughters to come back and live with them after being in a bad relationship often these women don't have children so it's more acceptable to allow them to come and stay with the parents but really at the age of 51 they're living still being told where they can and can't go and that's a little bit alien to me now yeah of course and like, obviously, you said you don't hold anything against your family, you know, because you've let that go. And that's that says a lot about yourself and the way you are as a person. Like, have you ever spoken to your mom since? Um, when I was with my former partner, 15 years into the relationship, my brother came to find me. The same brother that had broken my jaw came to find me. He had attacked his girlfriend with a hammer and the social worker that he had, or the counsellor, I think it was a counsellor, sorry. The counsellor said to him, you have to go and do, correct whatever wrongs you've done. You have to make peace with the people that you've hurt. And I think I was at top of the list. Okay. He seemed to go through a bit of a transition which lasted a very short time. When he came, I actually returned to the house and he was sitting on my sofa with my former partner and I was very scared that he was there. I had my children with me. I didn't want them to interact with him. Mm. You just know the energy of your person speaks before they do and I could tell that he had not changed at all he said to me I bought you some flowers and I want forgiveness now the whole I want and I just expressed to me that he hadn't changed at all and that he was there because he was almost forced to be there I wasn't sure how he'd found my address so I was very uncomfortable with that um because I know how unsafe I felt yeah but he asked me for my forgiveness and for me to forget it and as the saying goes, you can forgive, but you can't forget, which mm. is exactly what I did say. Um, not long after that, my mother came and I hadn't seen her for 15 years. So at first, I was very shocked at how she'd aged. Secondly, I found it very difficult to have a, any communication with her. As much as I wanted to have this motherly love, something within me was really rejecting her being around. And she'd come into my life when I was very successful. I, I was running numerous businesses I was sending my children to private education and you know things were doing well for me on a financial side and I soon realized that she was after money from me she wanted me to pay for certain things but she was never really there to help me and I went to visit them once with my son and I can't remember why I went actually because it was it was hard for me to go back to the family home and as I went into the room I saw the same carpet that I'd been lying on you know to, near death's door and I found it very hard to be in her space she has got two granddaughters now um she actually has three now but at the time she had two and there was a definite shift she was definitely softer towards them but still there were a lot of restrictions and there was no respect the way that she spoke to them was very disrespectful the way my brother spoke to them was very disrespectful and I found it very hard to be in that um, environment. So I removed myself. But I removed myself as well because my brother became very aggressive towards my son, who was, I think, eight years old at the time. And you have this six foot tall man standing above you, cowering. Um, my son was cowering because he was so scared. Um, 
And it was really unnecessary. And I just thought to myself, I don't need this situation. I don't need to be here. But then I realized when I stepped out of it, they were trying again to take control of what I was and wasn't doing. And it wasn't for my benefit or my children's benefit. They said that my children multicolored because my partner was actually from Africa, he was Nigerian. So I started to sense that something was going to happen that was bad. And I quickly removed myself. But strangely, they made, he made a very um, connection. He made a connection with my former partner, maybe because they were both abusers, I'm not sure. But for some reason they connected and they would often have conversations about what I was doing and what I wasn't doing. But it was always very disrespectful that she's not done this. She's, you know, and it's very strange as well. I want nothing to do with them. I recently had a death threat from my brother. He sent me a blank letter, which in my culture means there's nothing left to say, that now it's war. I had another message through Instagram where he liked a message and then sent me a DM. And it's one of those messages that you can be taken in two ways. It can be taken as watch out, as in look after yourself, or watch out, I'm coming after you. So it's very much an obvious threat, but I can't take it to the police because it can be misinterpreted in, in the wrong manner. So yeah, I've, I have nothing to do with them to answer your question. Wow. Um, so like, how do you how do you stay safe? I've been moving and um, in the last five and a half years, five and a half years ago when I became homeless, I um, have moved four times. So I just don't stay in the same place. And now I'm thinking, do I need to keep doing it? Because a recent um, event happened that suggests my former partner knows my address, which means he would pass it always on to my parents also. But do I need to keep running away? the only reason I was doing it was to try and keep my son safe but am I teaching him it's the right thing to keep moving I'm not sure so now I'm starting to believe that again like I said that the fear has subsided and I'm strong enough now to stand up against all of them because I'm not doing this for myself anymore I'm doing it for all the people that are still in a situation where they fear waking up in the morning where they fear going into the kitchen and and collecting you know or making a cup of tea for their father or mother I'm here for those people that are counting down the days to an arranged forced marriage I'm here for those people that want to leave the marriage and can't because they feel they will be either killed or because of domestic violence they feel they just cannot walk out the door so those people need me and I want to help as much as I can so the fear is no longer there at all Wow. Like you are such an inspirational woman. It's it's amazing like how you are still so strong and you know are not allowing them affect your life and your future, you know, and you're willing to stand up to them. Um I suppose Nina, you said like you're a life coach. Um and has that kind of helped you with um I suppose your how you can forget, not forget, but how you can move on from the past and kind of give you coping mechanisms for going forward. Yeah, I mean past. yeah, definitely. I mean I, I'm in a really good place. I'm in a very happy I'm very excited about life. You know, I've discovered life almost two years ago, I feel I've discovered it to a point where 
there's so many things that you don't understand people are missing out on I had never been bowling I'd never been to play pool <laughs> you know these little things that people take for granted when they're growing up the cinema was something I hardly ever did I'd never been to the cinema I think I'd been a few times with my children but never really been to the cinema cinema you know and there's so many things out there in little pleasures, just little things that I love to do that I, I'm discovering all sorts of things. And I want that for other people. And through life coaching, I'm able to almost free somebody's mind to the place that they've been stuck. And the reason I say stuck is because it's easy to become stuck. It's easy to say, why doesn't my mother love me? But the more you talk about it, the more it actually brings you down. It becomes this heavy anchor that's weighing you down on a daily basis. And imagine walking around actually carrying a physical anchor it's impossible to do but what I try to do is get people to free themselves of this said anchor that they're carrying and I tell them that you know you've got this endless blue sea of opportunities out there there's so many things you can be doing with your life and there's nothing that's impossible nothing you just sometimes have to take a risk and believe on an idea that you have or whatever the situation is if you were running a business and it's got wrong but what about all the things that went right you're leading up to what went wrong. You know, you created a business, you found customers, you did certain things. Okay, it's gone wrong. But what have you learned from that? What can you take forward? How can you help others with that knowledge? That's a business in itself. I mean, you're doing podcasting, and it sounds like you're quite professional, because I've heard some of your old podcasts before me. And I thought to myself, these are really well edited. You could be teaching people that. You could hold a workshop. And I mean, when I say to people, this is what I want to earn an hour, they sometimes give me a funny look, but it's so doable. You know, there's ways that you can do it. You literally have to find 40 people or 20 people, charge them, for example, £49, which people would happily pay. And you've got £1,000 an hour, which you can easily make. So life can change for everyone if they want to take the choice to make it change. But I do help people get through some really horrible situations. And often I have people, clients that are of high caliber, that elite athletes. And a lot of the problems are that they've become very successful and they've worked hard to get to the goal. And when you've got to the goal, it's like, hold on a minute, do I deserve this? Yes, you do. We all deserve that, which is why I believe in celebrating your little wins that will help you celebrate the big win when it comes to you. I have the hugest ambitions and I'll always have them because without that ambition, without that visualization of what can come into your life, you know, you're stagnant. You're not even swimming. You're literally just stagnant swimming, floating around in a pool where you could be enjoying it. <laughs> life is here to be enjoyed oh definitely life is definitely here to be enjoyed and i think that that is something that a lot of people struggle with is when they get to the goal you know it's they question it like do i deserve it and i suppose you know even though they've put in all the hard work to get to that it can be quite i suppose daunting and to be actually proud of yourself and say well yeah. i actually did that you know, I worked hard. I got here by doing all the hard work. And as you said, celebrating those little wins that day, maybe that you don't want to go out training and that you don't want to do that business meeting, but you got through it. And that has now got you to your goal. That was definitely well said. <laughs> <laughs> um, Nina, what's next for you? Well, what is the next? Nina has huge, huge ambitions, as she said. So I'm very blessed with the help of Think Network. I'll give them a shout out because I love them so much. 
but Gary, Emma, um, Lizzie and um, Karen have really helped me to get my first TED talk. And I say first because I believe there's so many TED talks in me. I told my children when they were seven years old or under 10 that I would one day do a TED talk because it means a lot to me. Um, one of the things I could do when I was at work and my former partner was watching through CCTV was use the screen without him knowing what I was watching. And one of the things I used to watch was TED Talks. <laughs> I used wow. to type in, what is self-love? <laughs> I used to type in, what is abuse? What is a narcissistic partner? Because I didn't know. And those things really kept me going. Those things, watching those TED Talks really really gave me clarity when the days were very vague, when the days were very cloudy. Those days gave me sunshine when my whole um, ambience and the whole uh, life that I was living was very grey. Those days that I could watch TED Talks just uplifted me and gave me that hope that one day I would get out of the situation I was in. So it's not like some people have it on their bucket list um, because they just want to do it. For me, it means so much more. It means that I can reach out to the person looking for what is an honour killing or whatever the title will be. That person that needs somebody else to just say a little thing that they're going through or have been through. And we need that as humans. We need that compassion from one another to to sort of be able to recognise that we're not the only ones going through this. It makes makes us strangely feel comforted. Um, And I want to be able to comfort those people who feel that they're very much alone in in their lives. I really want that. So... TED Talks will be um, recorded, I think, in May, the wow. day I'm still waiting to find out exactly the details. But so it's not that far away. I'm excited about that. I'm excited about getting to America because I have a lot of, how could I put it? I have a lot of talks to do there, a lot of platforms upon which I will be speaking. And the reason I want to talk on platforms is not because I have an ego or that I want to see myself stood on a stage. It's nothing to do with that. It's I need this voice to be projected into as many places as possible. I need this message to be spoken, even if it's repeated on a daily basis, as many places as possible so that I may reach a person that's not heard it before who can use this as a catalyst and say to somebody, I was listening to Nina on Clubhouse and she was talking about honour killings. Did you know that exists around the corner? I just need that. I really need that because... The people that are in trouble in those positions haven't got a voice. So I feel I am their voice. And I, as I said, I know that fear of waking up every morning and not knowing whether it's your last day. Wow, Nina, it's just, it's amazing. Like, and exactly what you said, you want to be their voice, create that awareness for people who don't know, because even I didn't know, like I've heard part of your story on Clubhouse, the in-depth story that you just told me, I had no idea. Even just anyone listening to this podcast when it goes out, that will create some awareness. And as you said, the more you speak on different platforms, the more awareness and the voice that you have for those people who don't have one. Yeah, I mean, I've written a book called Master Your Life, Live the Life of Your Dreams. It should be out on Amazon very shortly. I'm hoping by the end of this month, if not the beginning of May. And um, that's a self-help book. And in that book, I've covered things like love and relationships, family, health, money, coping with COVID. And the reason I wrote it was I wanted people to just find a different way of thinking sometimes when you are in a situation and you say, oh, I can't afford it which is a common thing to say. Mm -hmm. But instead of saying I can't afford it, to say how can I afford it changes the whole narrative. So I'd love for people to just change the narrative and start understanding that words are very powerful. They can control 
whether we, you know, they can make us or break us effectively. So I've got that book coming out, but also I am, as I said, trying to um, travel and I do have um, ways that I'm going to be trying to raise funds for that to enable me to travel. Um, but, but like I said, it's all about awareness for me. It's all about spreading this information and hopefully even, maybe even the perpetrators might hear it and think, are we doing bad? Because like I said, until you tell somebody they're doing something wrong, they don't always realize it because mm. they're so used to that action. So for someone else to call them out, maybe they might consider themselves that it sounds horrible when she says it and understand that it is a horrible thing to do. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Lucas, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it and wish you all the luck in the world with telling your story and creating that awareness and the venture of your book. Please do let me know when it is out on sale um, and the very best of luck. Thank you so much. Thanks, Anne. Thank you.